Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. He's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. Sean is back from a whirlwind speaking to her. So Sean, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. I've been two weeks of uh, heavy duty traveling uh, in the Midwest. And uh, then I came back to chilly South Florida here, 50 Ooh. degrees today, which for us is uh, a little nippy yeah. for us. But uh, might, might as well be Antarctica, right? Yeah. How, so. You know, five degrees in Indiana and 35 degrees with drizzle and heavy winds. I'm I'm feeling fine right now compared yeah. to where I was. I'm feeling really, <laughs> really good. So I'm not feeling yeah. it as much as I would have felt had I not traveled to the Midwest. Although uh, looking at the calendar, I'll be traveling to the Midwest late mid-late February into March extensively, and I don't like the forecast that I see. I think another round of ugly cold and snow is coming, and I hope I can dodge those bullets um, when I'm on the road again. So far, I have, but, you know, no guarantees with that. <laughs> I got to be like every other weatherman, Sean. Just change your forecast right beforehand, and it, and it, it always works out. I wish, so. I wish I had that power to <laughs> just change it whenever I want it. Unfortunately, yeah. God is in control, and and it gives me it gives me a text every once in a while, but not enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the uh, that's the that's the hard part. You never know what you're actually going to get out of those deals. So yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about that, Sean. So you put out your last report; it came out. And if you guys aren't signed up for Sean's uh, service, it's well worth your while to do that because the amount of information that you get from that is quite spectacular. So check that out if you have a chance. Um, we'll talk a little bit about how you can sign up for that here at the end of the podcast, but. Um, Sean, let's talk a little bit about, about the record short positions that we see in the grain market right now. There's a lot of things going on out there that you think would have turned the tide a little bit to where some short coverings would start taking place, but we're not seeing that at all. There's still very much in a in a holding pattern when you look at that. You got the, the tensions that are escalating in the Middle East with what the drone strikes and stuff that we saw happen um, over the weekend where a couple service members were killed and several injured. That's just one more tally back on that, but this is the, the biggest extent that we've seen uh, in there. So there's some real tensions in the Middle East right now, greater than what we've seen in the past. 
Uh, we've got this polar vortex uh, starting to kind of stir up and cook up. If you look at where um, things were at in December during this this record hot time that we saw in December, and then how that ended up in January, the same pattern started to repeat again, similar to what you, what you saw coming down. So talk a little about the short covering positions that you see out there and what some potential that you can see coming up that could stir that up to where you can start seeing um, some pretty big movements in the market here. Well, first of all, you know, why have they done it? Why have they gone record short as a percentage of an interest in grains of all time? Why? They've been feeding off the narrative that China is imploding economically. The stock market's been crashing. Um, you know, so, so our exports to them have been poor because they've been buying everything from Brazil, even though they've had very, very strong corn and soybean imports for the year in 23. They, you know, they they didn't not buy as much from us, so our balance sheets don't look as exciting as many thought they would be. Um, and so they've been king off of that, and and that's just you know. And then the way these funds work, the computers work, the algorithms work. Like the trend is your friend, and they press the trend until until the trend stops going. And there, so far, they've been pressing the trend, and the trend keeps working its way down, and they could stay that way for a while. There's nothing that says they can't stay that way. There's nothing to say they can't get a little more record short. I mean, we're it. But what I'm saying is, is that historically, when you get the one-sided trade, the crowded trade like this, the market is extremely vulnerable to the whipsaw. If a catalyst strong enough comes in that makes them feel that they're on the wrong side of the market, that the narrative I just painted to you is no longer convincing enough against what a new piece of information that it feels like that they feel like they're on the wrong side of the trade and they need to buy back those short positions. There's a lot of things that could do it. There's, it could be that something we don't even know yet, Casey, that could do it. Right. I mean, right. we know what we can see. We don't know what we can't see. And maybe it's going to be something we can, we have no ideas coming. That's going to get them out. What I tried, I, what I always try to do is propose, you know, what, could be some catalyst that might do it right now there's two that i see right now right now brazil's in the is in the heart of their soybean harvest 12 percent harvested something like that we know anytime that a large exporter of anything gets in the harvest what do we hear harvest pressure not every farmer in brazil sold when they were supposed to not every farmer has storage they got to sell off the combine. So we are dealing with the harvest pressure season in Brazil. The cash price in soybeans in Brazil has widened relative to futures as they're dumping, you know, they're dumping soybeans because, you know, there, there, there's that harvest pressure. We see this all the time. So that is pressuring the market as it typically does. Now, what, but what happens obviously is, once you get to that 25 or 30% harvested mark, most of the low-lying fruit that has to sell, sells. And then you get your post-harvest rally. I mean, this is not rocket science. I mean, you know, Casey, we've been talking about harvest pressure, post-harvest rallies. For as long as agriculture has been alive, this is the, a general trend. Not every year, but most years. So we're in the midst of the harvest pressure. We probably have another couple of weeks where soybeans are going to be impacted by harvest pressure and widening basis in Brazil. Um, and then that crop gets put away. And then what we're going to start to hear 
is, is the crop down is going to get smaller and smaller. And I think that that could that 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 ending of harvest pressure and the full understanding of the smaller crop that could be a catalyst later on in February. Okay, in 2015-16, the last time we had a a weather scenario in Brazil like this, where they had a drought in the north and, the, and a wetness in the south, and you know the soybean market took off the last week of February, and I think it shot up forty percent over the next four to six weeks. I'm not no two years exactly the same. I'm just saying that a post-harvest rally is is one catalyst. The second catalyst is kind of a shocking weather event. And we proposed the idea that so we had this low torch in mid-December. We were projecting a big change in late December, leading into a very, very cold, snowy first three weeks of January. And we in fact it was the coldest and in many cases, the snowiest in 100 years in many areas, and surprised everybody. Natural gas uh, prices on the front contract went up almost 50%. Um, you know, and and so we 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 had that. Now, of course, the winter wheat had largely had snowfall. Um, there was some issues, but it 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 wasn't a uh, an event for winter wheat. However, this blowtorch that we're getting again. Because what happens is when you get a sudden stratific warming event, like we had in mid-December, it does tend to create a short-term blowtorch period of hot weather. And we're now in a sudden stratic warming event again. There tends to be a 30-day window from when the SSW event starts to when the polar vortex kicks in. So if we look at mid-December, when it started, uh, actually started the uh, second week of December, we could have projected that we would likely see a polar vortex by the early part of January, which we did. So now we've had this SSW event started in mid-January. So we can realistically expect that we would see some kind of a polar vortex event by mid-February, give or take. And this correlation holds very, very true when you have a negative QBO or quasi biennial oscillation. These are very rapid stratospheric winds that go that oscillate back and forth on a 27 to 32 month uh cycle back and forth right now they're going from east to west going against the jet stream which causes tremendous jet stream and polar vortex destabilization in that environment in the negative qbo it's a high correlation that when you get an ssw event that 30 days later you're going to get some type of a polar vortex it's not a hundred percent perfect but it's highly correlated a few other things that we that we that we looked that we were seeing in mid December that gave us a heads up. Global angular momentum is something we've talked about on your show before. Which, if it's positive, the atmosphere is moving faster than the Earth. If it's yep. negative, it means slower than the Earth. When you get an SSW event, remember this is blowing out the atmosphere. It's just it's just it's just blowing it out. Okay, so when you get an SSW event, you get the atmosphere running faster. So we've had this big, big surge in the global angular momentum to positive territory. We had the same thing uh, occur in December. And when the SSW backs off, then the global angular momentum caves in. And that is kind of and once you know, and once you see that, you know, that that is telling you, you know, get ready for it. And we're starting to see that. Another thing is the Southern Oscillation Index. 
which is the pressure differential from the West Pacific to the East Pacific. Um, when you get a SSW event, you get this explosion in um, positive Southern Oscillation Index. Positive Southern Oscillation Index is a, uh, uh, a La Nina response, actually. And so when you get that, uh, blowtorch. And then when the S when the SOI starts to cave in and it's been completely crashing, and now we're in negative, I think we're at negative seventeen now from positive thirty where we were you know a week and a half ago. So it's just crashing. When that crashes, and the same thing happened in late December, a crashing SOI says SSW about to weaken, and from that from from that time that we start to crash, you can look out two weeks. That's a two week correlation. It says you can expect a sun's driven warming within two weeks time which gets you to mid-february both of these correlations are highly correlated with a negative qbo so we're and and then there, you know i'm not a big fan of the models as you know casey I, I i trash them a lot but every model has some piece of information some models are good at temperature some models are good at moisture some models are good at stratospheric conditions some a few models are good at picking up polar vortex events in advance not many but there's a few that we've found over the many years that we've been doing this that aren't too bad at picking up well in advance a polar vortex event one of those models is the euro control model it's a specific model in the euro that's very very good at picking up it, it absolutely nailed polar vortex event uh coming in january that confirmed you know, we don't use the models to, to decide what to think, but we we like to see when another model is confirming what we're doing because it just it just gives us more confidence. And that is and that model is is showing very much a a kind of polar vortex kind of event around mid February, the week of February fifteenth to February twenty two. So that gives us increased confidence that you know we're on the right track with this. So if so, this, so here's the setup, Casey. Our calculation is that about 50% to two-thirds of winter wheat, SRW, HRW, because it's so, it can be so warm here for the next 10 days, is going to come out, of, it's, to some extent, it's going to come out of dormancy very, very, you know, much earlier than it normally would do. So when you come out of dormancy, you're no longer hardened like you are when you're in dormancy, meaning, you, you know, when you're in dormancy, because it's been cold, you're hardened, you know, the wheat's hardened, and it can handle cold. You know, you need to be a certain temperature to really do something. There's snow, but now it's going to two thirds of it to fifty percent of it's going to be out of dormancy to some extent, meaning it's going to be much more vulnerable. And of course, it's not going to be snow cover. So if, and a lot of times, what happens is these, this cold air comes rushing in, and then the snow comes in behind it. Not every time, but a lot of times, if we were to get a another one of these extreme events like we just saw, which I think is very possible here and we get this initial surge in without snowfall we get a cold before the snow with a, let's say 50 percent or more of this winter wheat somewhat out of dormancy you know the damage would be considerably larger than it, than one would ever expect under a normal winter kill situation if the crop was still in dormancy that could be i mean i wasn't expecting this kind of an opportunity until may as you know i did not expect that we were going to get this warm i thought we talked about a warm-up it's right. just it's deciding to get a lot warmer than i thought and it's providing this potential opportunity if that happens casey and we get a serious 
weather event that severely damages and debilitates the winter wheat crop and we get a short covering rally in wheat, the same people who are short wheat are short corn or short soybeans. You know, it's the same, it's the same money. It could trigger a short covering rally in the grain markets for a little while. Like it, it could be one of the cows to get a bunch of these funds that say, shoot, you know, we didn't expect this. We, we, you know, and, and so that's something to look for. Not today, not tomorrow, but as we approach mid February, you know, that could be a catalyst to provide, you know, a, a big surprising short covering rally that would offer an ability instead of farmers selling into the, the hole, which is what they're being, which is they're, many are panicking doing right now, selling in the strength. And we're a big believer. You always want to try to sell in the strength. Look, look at the cattle market, right? A few weeks back, and market was getting crushed, and you know, and we were sort of suggesting you know we could be due for some kind of a bounce. And we've gotten this fifty percent you know retracement of the prior decline. Now, if you're a livestock producer in cattle, now is your opportunity to sell into strength. Now it's not as good as it was in the fall, but it's an opportunity to sell into strength instead of selling into a hole, which is what everyone was advocating a few weeks back. And I and then and so so you know is it is it what I just said does it mean that it has to happen? Maybe we get the snowfall ahead of it as now, but it's we have to keep looking for these catalysts, Casey, because one of them is going to trip up the market. It's going to be fast. It's going to be coming out of nowhere, and you need to be prepared as a producer to act so that you get yourselves, if you're not in the position you want to be in with your cash sales and you need to catch up, please sell in the strength. Don't sell you know, into the lows after a two-year bear market. I mean, that's just typically not how you bring more money home on the farm. So, not That's usually not a good recipe. And that's, that's where we're at right now. I mean, everybody, you know, and I, what, I, what I said in yesterday's report, you know, I said, look, if, if you're losing sleep and the doctor says, you know, your blood pressure is at 200, you're not going to make it unless you relieve your stress. And, and because you're, you're, you're listening to all this Armageddon, uh, $3 corn, $3 billion bush carryout stuff. Look, you can always put some floors under the market and, and, and remove that risk from the marketplace. You can always do that. I mean, there's always an option to do that. You know, put a 440 floor or 1150 floor, you know, uh, under, under your crop. So you can, so you, you know, if the worst case scenario happens and, and we, that's where we go, we don't get any rallies all year long. Or, you know, at least, you know, the worst case scenario is not going to happen to you. I mean, if the, if you're in that position, then protect your inventory that way. I mean, I don't know what else to say, you know I mean? It's just, you know, there's, there's ways to alleviate where, if you're uncomfortable, it's not for me to decide if you're uncomfortable or not, but if you're not comfortable, you know, then get yourself comfortable. But I, but you know, it's, it's a, how many years do we go through? We don't get something to rally the market in an entire calendar year in grains. I mean, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a year out there where we didn't, but you know, we almost always at least get some at least one reason for at least a little while where the market gets a little excited and they worry a little bit that maybe their bearishness is not warranted, and we get some kind of a rally. I mean, it, even in the most bearish times in 2012 to 2020, when we had 3.5 billion bushel carryouts, you know, we had those rallies. So. To me, you know, the probabilities say that we're going to get opportunities as as bleak as it looks right now and as impossible as it seems like we'd ever get a rally. History says that probabilistically 
we're going to get one or two opportunities to sell some optimism. And that's, you know, so, and with the funds in this extremely crowded trades, at some point they will buy those short positions back. We know they always will eventually do that. We, you know, obviously the question is when, for what reason, and I'm proposing some ideas and we just need to look out for that and be ready to, to take advantage of the market whenever it decides to get more optimistic. Just look at hogs and cattle here in the last two, three weeks have big, big rallies after extreme bearishness out of nowhere. The milk market, big rally all of a sudden, extreme bearishness. You know, markets just rally all of a sudden. Sometimes they just rally just because the buyers just decide that they want to, it's time to buy, you know, and they overrun the market. I don't also say other than I just think that that's what we're on the lookout for. And um, post-harvest rally potential for Brazil and maybe this, the timing of this polar vortex could create a weather shock for winter wheat that could create a, a catalyst to get these shorts out. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be something else. As I said, uh, oftentimes it's something we don't even know is coming. Comes and we and you wake up. You wake up one morning and you know corn's up twenty or thirty. And you go, what? What just happened? You know, I remember. You know, and, and, and all of a sudden you find out something happened, and that that's your catalyst that you had no right. idea was coming. I mean, I don't know. I yep. don't know everything. You know? So yep. No, I think that's those are so much. There's so much laying out there right now, Sean, that you could. You could honestly throw a throw a rock and hit something that could, could massively swing the market right now without really even trying. One more thing I want to throw up out there for everyone to take a keep in the back of their mind. So if you take a look at what's going on in the Indian wheat crop, I think there's stuff that we're talking about there. Similar scenario to what happened a year or two ago. Uh, we had a, a fairly cool period that was good for for dormancy. Then we had this this huge warming event come they're coming through another warming event as you talk about right now and and sean as you look at your models uh india could have some of this big frost polar vortex issue come their way as well um as we head into this warm phase as, as their wheat starts to come out of dormancy maybe a little bit early talk a little bit about that and what you see happening there well i mean i don't think it is as much a, a frost issue as much as it's um just being uh, too hot and dry at the wrong time Okay. Um, uh, you know, they, they, their yield is, is formed really, you know, in the next few months. Um, and you obviously like anything that you, what you want to avoid is extremely hot temperatures is extremely, is, uh, deleterious to yields for winter wheat. Um, you know, their climate's a little different than, uh, ours and, and Europe's uh, where they, uh, they can get super hot, uh, much sooner than we can, you know? And so, so that really, that really uh, jumped, uh, you know, trumped the crop a few years back. And, and there's this, you know, looks like right now there could be, remember this Tonga effect is still at large. It's still right. out there, you know, and, and even in Argentina, they're getting some historic record heat. Um, and, you know, these heating events just pop out of nowhere. This Tonga event just keeps providing this ammunition for these extreme hot weather events out of nowhere um to create havoc if it's if it occurs at the wrong time for yield development and it looks like india may find themselves in a situation where the tonga effect is going to pay a visit to them at exactly the wrong time when it's most important for their yield determination for you know for their wheat crop and obviously india is extremely important for wheat because um historically they've been a large exporter they now have put a uh, you know they've been halting exports and um you know and obviously 
you know, they, 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 in some years they become a large importer at times. So they're a, they're a big balancing act, a country for wheat. And, um, you know, certainly if, if wheat in India were to become compromised and they would be dealing with a, a greater shortage of wheat and having to import more wheat at a time that rice is, uh, extremely tight you know these are your go-to commodities for feeding the world half the world lives off of wheat and rice and if you mess that up you know you you, you just have a, a higher order problem on your hands and so it's definitely a uh, a boiling pl- a boilerplate issue to monitor over the next 30 60 days to see how long this heat will stay there and if it can really do the kind of damage it did a few years back that did set the wheat market upside down so yeah that's a rapidly developing thing and and with the issues they're having with supply anyway just like you talked about there's a lot of a lot of implications there that could that could really change the way the world um supply looks so well, just remember you know I, I you know they 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 halted sugar exports they've halted yep. rice exports they've halted wheat exports they've the fact they halted cotton exports they got this election modi's going to get in i guess uh, and, um, but I don't, I, th- I think they are waiting for like, you know, August where they can say, Hey, we're going to have a good crop. Not for wheat. We, we already know I'm talking about for rice, right. you know, are we going to have a good. And, but if the wheat crop is short because the wheat crops determined before the summer, boy, it's going to put, um, uh, a, 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 they're going to be much more, uh, unlikely to remove their rice export ban uh especially if we have any adverse weather in the first half of the growing season if el nino hangs on which it you know probably will then they could have some unfavorable weather and it just a short short wheat supplies makes them not want to give up the rice supply because that you know they could feed themselves one way or the other and if wheat's not there Boy, they're going to, I don't, I just can't imagine they're going to want to give up a lot of their rice to others. I think they're going to want to keep it for themselves. So it's, so the, it's a, it's a dance that both those crops play. And, and it's really important that they have a, a bountiful wheat crop to take the pressure off. And that's what makes, like you said, this next 30, 60 days very important for, um, for India and how that plays out. Cause if the wheat crop comes up really short, it's really highly unlikely we're going to see any alleviation of the rice export ban. And you know, Asian rice prices keep flirting with some historically high levels. Even yeah. the U.S. rice price is pushing eighteen. You know, for the first time in a while, you know, things are just things are tight in the, yeah. in, in these key key uh, humanitarian food commodities. So, yeah, for sure. All right, we've talked about natural gas. For- I don't know, last three or four podcasts on here. And it wasn't until I watched your video uh, you put out yesterday where I really got a good understanding of what's happening. So let's kind of bring everybody up to speed here. So if you're looking at what happened in the summer, um, relatively cool summer as as on, you know, relatively speaking, uh, we had a huge buildup of natural gas. Um, We go into December again, really warm uh, phase in December where, uh, what the the drawdown for natural gas you typically see that time of the year just wasn't there saw this huge cold come through this huge polar vortex come through and it in like a three-week period the amount of natural gas that was available in stores to where it's at now just dramatically dropped down to basically five-year uh five-year averages now as we head back into this next round and we see what happens there you're going to see a similar drawdown what we saw which will put us way below 
uh, from where we need to be at. And yeah, then if, if, you're, yeah if you look at if you look at the drawdown that we had in January, mm-hmm. um, and we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a, we're gonna you know obviously we have this warm period, so we're gonna we're gonna you know move a little away from the fiber average. But then if we if we do a similar drawdown, which we think we will do, um, then we're gonna we're gonna close the season below the five what was uh, below the fiber average, right? Way below last year. And similar to what we were two years ago, going into what should be a very hot summer, right. hyperactive hurricane season in the Gulf, and an early start to the winter in 24-20, meaning that the winter is going to start early, meaning you know, we're not going to have that warm blow towards December to save the day. We're going to be drawing heavily you know, in that fourth quarter. You know, th- that's a setup for you know, a market that could you know, be trending you know, up throughout the year as a result of that. Um, uh, and, um, so that's, you know, that, so, so right now, you know, we had, we, I think the front contract in natural gas had rose over 50% off the lows during the last cold event. And we've come all the way down to retest the lows. The, uh, Freeport LNG facility yesterday mentioned that one of the three <clears throat> processing, uh, plants is going to, is going to be offline for 30 days because the cold weather was so severe and the damaged equipment that they need to replace to, oh, wow. to, um, so that's, so, so that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, you know, that, that it's a little, adds a little extra bearish, uh, tone because that, at least that one of the three, you know, can't export LNG for at least 30 days. So we had a knockdown yesterday on that news, which probably, you know, that's how you set your, your, your secondary low on an, an announcement like that—it's right. usually how it works. You get that, you know, and then. Right. But bottom line is, we're doing a full rate test of the lows. But uh, you know, if 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 we you know now the March contract is the front contract. You know, there could be substantial upside to the market as we have another one of these big drawdowns. If we're correct about this assessment, and uh, you know, and I just think that if you just look at what I just said about. You know, natural gas is crazy. It's up and down, very volatile. But overall, I, I think once we're done with this secondary low here, and we trade, and we if we get this polar vortex, we trade below the fiber average. I, th- I think we 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 have a a market that can trend up. You know, generally speaking, trend up uh, into the fourth quarter, maybe carrying over into the first quarter, where we might make another some kind of of high for a while. You know, it's, it's just just something that that you know, looking out, you know, that's potentially what we're what we could be seeing here, and. Um, Physical buyers of natural gas, propane. You know, I know. It, you know, uh, the the bearers uh, have control of the narrative, and there's no reason why you should be even thinking about physically locking up your natural gas. But you know, you're supposed to be uh, locking in supplies and inputs when the getting is good. The only way the getting is good is when anybody thinks that you're an idiot for locking in, locking it in. Right. Um, if 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 that's the only way you get a good price. Right. So, uh, you know, I think this is um, a, a long-term physical opportunity for those that have the capital to do it. And for those that have the ability to go against uh, the crowd, I think this is a, a very interesting long-term opportunity to lock in an incredibly economic advantage in natural gas derivative energy supplies. You answered the question I was going to ask you, Sean, without even asking the question. <laughs> <clears throat> Look at that. All right. What were you going to ask? <laughs> I was going to ask, what about long-term inputs with natural, that, are, that are associated with natural gas? What should you do? Yeah. There you go. So, there you go. <clears throat> um, 
that was kind of watching that video and, and seeing how the drawdown was happening. And if the drawdown, as we go into the end of the summer, and if it is a, a hot summer, a La Nina summer, like we're, like you're expecting it to be the, the draw for electricity uh, during, during the, the peak of these heating cycles are going to be um, massively as well. And then if we take, you know, if we, if we get active golf and we take all these crews off the, right. the deep water drillers yep. and, 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 and you, you knock production down, um, you know, just it's an other, it's another element, right? It's another right. element that keeps the draw, the the rebuild cycle from from gaining as much strength. And then if we start, you know, if we get some really cold temperatures in the fourth quarter, October, November, December, let's say it's a, you know, it's a, it's a colder fourth quarter. It's you know, we don't get that ability. To, you know, it, it, we we have a setup here that's pretty interesting to me. I think that um, and when you look at actual production. Production is starting to the growth in production is really starting to fall off. These low prices are starting to have an impact, um, and we're really starting to see a leveling off of production. Um, and so it's just going to be hard to get. It's going to be hard to rebuild those supplies to comfortable levels if we have this next polar vortex period from mid, you know, February into the first half of March. It's going to be really, really hard to get them back to to levels that are going to be comfortable, especially if we get off to a cold start. In the fourth quarter, you know, it, it, it could definitely set off um, some warning bells. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my job is, and I think the job of anyone who's involved in agriculture is looking at your long-term business, looking at the long-term of where things might be heading. And, yeah, know, everyone tries to look at today, tomorrow, next week, and it's bearish the next week or whatever. But, you know, long-term, I sure think that this is, if you had told anybody when we were at 8 to 10, not too long ago, that you'd have another opportunity lock in natural gas propane and derivative products you know yeah. back you know in the low to mid twos yep. uh similar to what we'd had during covid if, if i told you you would have an opportunity to do that i think everybody would have said i please i will do every i will go buy five years out of you know now we're here because everyone's bearish uh, i don't want to do it now i don't want to do right. it now but they would have they would have they would have they would have mauled me to do it Year and a half ago, when hey, to ten dollars natural gas. So, yep. psychology is an interesting thing with humans. It makes us do the wrong thing at the wrong time if we let it take over. And you know, I always feel that a price forecaster um, of markets is more a psychologist than it is anything else. Obviously, you try to put out good information, but the most important thing is on, is, is managing the psychology of your customer and, right. and trying to get him thinking differently than he would. And he wants to think. And look, I'm a human. I think this, you know, we all get emotional. And But you have to try to train yourself to think opposite of what your emotions are telling you. Because historically, most of the time, your emotions steer you down uh, the road that leads to bringing less money home on the yep. farm than more. And, and that's, that's a tried and true principle that we have abided by ever since we started our firm in 2007. And we stick by that. Yep. Yep. It is a, uh, emotions can get the, uh, really don't make good decisions when you're making them emotionally. And that's, you know, and and that's why things like, you know, laying floors under the market can, can take away the emotion. You know, if, if you've taken care of this Armageddon scenario, you don't have to worry that now your mind is clear. Like you can think clearly now. Right. Right. Or, or like, you know, when we have bullish markets, right. And you're afraid, you know, when we have $7 corn and everyone says go to 10, and you're, you know, well, if 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 you if you have if you've put in 
ability to, uh, to participate in the upside, then you can make those sales with a clear mind because you, you, the, you're doing things with managing your hedges in that manner. You can take that emotion off and you can make the right decisions you need to make knowing that should your fear happen, whether it's a blow off top to the upside or a blow off decline to the downside, you've taken those risks off. So you can think with a clear mind and do what's most likely going to be in your best interest. And to me, that's how that's what managing the risk on the farm is all about: is taking, getting yourself out of this emotional manic state, so you can think clearly about what you need to be doing going forward. Because very, very hard to think clearly if you're you're waking up at two a.m. with with the sweats because you're worried about three dollar corn coming, uh, you know, and 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 you're worried about how you're going to tell your banker that you know. I need, I need a loan extension. You know what I'm saying? Right. No. Right. Never fun conversations for sure. No. Just, no. just ask Alan Hoskins. He'll, he'll tell you that. I'm sure so, he, he knows yeah. far better than I do. <laughs> yeah. Right <laughs> yeah. on. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. If folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what you're doing at Hackout Financial or how to sign up for your uh, your newsletter. What's the best way to do that? Our website is hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Uh, we also have a Twitter page at Faradix11. We also have a LinkedIn page. Some, you know, we put on some interviews from time to time, like we just put on our market to market interview that we did last Friday. Uh, that's uh, on on our uh, social media. Um, you know, sometimes we'll put out little uh, blurbs of things that we think are are interesting to kind of get people focused on how we're looking at the world and our culture to see how we do things with our cycles, statistics, and correlations is of value to those watching your show. Right on. Sean, love you. Have you on you, man. Look forward to uh, uh, Thursday when we can do this again and uh, talk about more stuff happening out there. So, Sean, take care of yourself. Appreciate you being on the podcast, man. You too, Casey. Talk to you soon. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to Snapchat, TikTok, and the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast. YouTube channel, all at Moving Iron Podcast. And you can go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. Moving Iron Summit's coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, November 4th through the 6th. So check that out. Sean's going to be there talking about what's going on. By then, we'll have a pretty good picture of what uh, going into 25 will look like as far as crop conditions and those kind of things go and uh, where we're going to be at with those kind of things. So look forward to that. If you need more information about that, send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com, and I'll make sure to get back to you ASAP. If you have any questions for Sean, hit me up on the all the social media sites that are out there, uh, and I'll make sure to ask those questions when Sean's back on. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's move smart, folks. Out. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron 
with Axon.